0: Um, Pastor Paul preached Psalm 37, maybe three weeks, maybe a month ago. And uh, how many of you know there's more in it every time you read it? And so I got some things out of it that I'll talk to you about as well. But let me start by saying this: It's not because you're wearing a mask. you've never seen your face. You've never seen your back, you've never seen your face. What you see is a reflection of your face. And over in, over in Cavendish they've got this place you can go into and they have distorted mirrors. One of them makes you really short and muscly and another one makes you tall and skinny. And um, that's what the devil's been doing to us forever. We look in the mirror, or, or maybe you can get your what you look like from somebody else. I don't think you're any good. And so then, you know, I found that, um, you know, that, that criticism starts out as, as a couple of people. But after a while, you learn how to do it by yourself. And, and so now it's, what's wrong with me? Let me help you with that. Nothing is wrong with you. You are enough. You matter. It's not about how big or small you are or any of that. Stop. Tearing yours, let, th- th- stop tearing yourself up, man. Woman, womb, man, man, man. He called them Adam in, in Genesis 5. And so when I say man, I mean mankind, the womb. Some of them got the womb and some of them don't have the womb. And some of them are not sure what they have these days. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but again, you've never, you've never seen yourself. So where did you get your idea of what you look like? You look in the mirror, and you trust the mirror, right? And how many of you know that the, this is a mirror? Well, let's go there. We'll get to Psalm 37, but let's go to James chapter, chapter 1. Woo! Hallelujah. This is important because you need a proper image of yourself, and that's why God gave you 66 books so that you would know what you look like. And James chapter 1 is so good. All I got to do is find it, and it will be even better. Amen. Yeah, James chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse um, 22. It says, be doers of the word. And again, Nancy pointed out a couple of weeks ago, that's the word, doer is the word poietes. In the Greek, and it's where you get the word "poet," or it means to create with words. Okay, so you, so he when he's saying this, he's saying create with your words, and don't be here only. Why? Because you'll deceive yourself. Look at the next verse. For any man hears the word of God and doesn't do it, he's like a man that looks at his face in the mirror. And he looks at himself and goes away and straight away forgets what kind of man he is. What does that mean? It means I can look in the Bible and read Romans 8:17. You know, that I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. And then I can walk away and forget about that and say, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too this, I'm too that. You know, tattoo this on your mirror. Shut up! <laughs> I'm serious. You need to see yourself. This is why he said in Romans 12, to don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by renewing your mind. How? By the word of God. So I, if I want to know what I look like, I can go home and look in the mirror, but I've never seen myself. But if I look in here, this is what I look like to God. This is how God sees me. And so for me to say anything less than that is to criticize my Creator. Right, so we ought not to be doing that. Right, when you say, the next verse. He looks at himself in the, in the mirror, then he goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Bible, and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, he shall be blessed in his deeds. In other words, you need to see where you see yourself is how you find yourself or where you find yourself. So I, I, I can say for sure that many of us look in a distorted mirror. It, it, how do I know that? Because you're not looking in the Word of God. I mean, when you think about Colossians 1.26, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you today, the hope of glory. Christ is in you today. Then he gets over in second corinthians thirteen five and says, "Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith well how do i how do I do that well, you know i'm I'm debt free I, I use my faith to get that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you can tell we are in the faith when the fruit of the spirit read John fifteen the fruit of the spirit is manifested in your life. love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance against such there is what no law." So how do you, so how can I tell when I'm a faith, when I'm walking in love, when I'm walking in joy, when I'm walking in peace, not when I'm walking in self-criticism, right? Yeah. Say, lighten up, somebody, lighten up. <laughs> lighten up somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now let's go to Psalm Psalm uh, 37. Because fear distorts your image. Fear perverts your judgment. Fear paralyzes your progress. Fear promotes procrastination. I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that's fear. And again, fear will destroy your creativity. Fear will silence the voice of God because you're not doing the word. You heard it, but now you forgot it. Fear stops the supernatural from flowing in your life. Fear fuels failure. I, I, how many of you know I watch uh, football in the fall of the year? And um, my eyes are even taking on that shape, um, the football. But really, what I watch it for, and, and I, I don't, people say, who's your team? I don't really have one. But I, I admire the players, I admire those ones that there was a guy playing a couple of weeks ago that, that broke his, r- ripped his Achilles tendon eight weeks ago. And the other day he was playing in the game. Crazy stuff. And he said while he was working out, he was crying from the pain. But, how many, but again, no pain, no gain. Most of us don't want pain. Just, you know, God, please make me comfortable like I am sitting up here today, right? Comfortable. But that's not God's way of doing things. God is saying, no, no, I want to challenge you. I want to keep, see, because I don't want you to, I don't want you to live in a place of false security. I don't want you to live in mediocrity when you've been called to live a supernatural life. To be, oh, well, this is good enough. no. I'm not striving to be better like a football player, but I'm yielding to the Holy Ghost, believing in Him to make the changes. He's the change agent, not me. So what am I doing? I'm trusting Him. I'm not going. oh, I got to be a better Christian. Like that story I told you about the the uh, apple orchard up in the valley. I'd, for those of you that weren't here, um, one day I was walking in an orchard in up in up in the Gasparo Valley, and I heard the Lord say to me on the inside of me. He said, uh, uh, Gary, do you see the apple trees? And like there was hundreds of them there. And so your logical answer is, well, of course I see them. But what what he said next was important. Do you see them struggling trying to produce apples? And the answer was, no, they're rooted and grounded in love, able to comprehend with all the saints, the width, the breadth, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it'll be done unto you. It's about just abiding in, in the fruitful soil. Uh, you know, again, he talks about that in Mark chapter four. He talks about the good soil and in the in thorny in the soil and the, Thin soil and all that. And he said, if you'll just get plugged into the good soil, you'll reap a hundredfold. That's not the place at the end of the field where the tractor turns around. It's really hard and packed there. It's out in the middle where the, where the soil is really thick. And you can put the seeds down three or four inches and watch what happens. See? So get out in the middle of God's will and plant the seed. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God. The the seed, it's called sperma. How many of you know what that is? Well, when Mary was talking to Gabriel the angel, she said, let it be unto me Panrema, according to your word. And she received the sperm that produced Jesus in her life. I'm preaching this to you today. And when you receive this sperma, it will produce in your life. If you'll take the time and nourish it and grow it, it'll produce whatever you're believing God for, it will produce. But you need to get a hold of your mouth. Yeah. Expectation always precedes manifestation. So if you want a manifestation of God in your life, you've got to see yourself. You know, I've been dealing, how many of you know I've been dealing with some things, right? Over the past hmm, longer than I'd like to talk about it, it could be a mountain range. But But that's not how I see myself. I'm not looking in that distorted mirror. I'm looking at Peter 2.24, by whose stripes I am healed. Well, you don't look like it to me. I'm not caring about it. It doesn't matter what I look like to you. I might look sick to you, but according to God, I look healed. And so when I agree with him, healing has to manifest itself. How long does it take? How long have I got? I woke up this morning, I was glad to wake up. Yes. Yeah, come on. yeah, Better than the opposite? <laughs> no, this is another thing that I've learned. Here is, can I just share with you where I've missed it over the years? Would that help you? Where I missed it over the years, and I can look back and tell you, is when I started to be concerned about people. Do they have a job? Don't they have a job? Is this going to turn out? What are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> God bless their darling hearts and stupid heads. What are they doing? <laughs> None of you have ever seen anybody like that, but I was, and but it affected my health. You know, it really did my physical health. But now I I, I get it. What do you get, Pastor? I get. I said, Lord, um, the Apostle Paul. I see everything that he went through, and I feel like I've had part of that myself, being cast down, but not destroyed, all those kind of things. But I said, what I see different in him than me is he always remained thankful. He always remained grateful. He didn't say, Lord, uh, this is wrong and that's wrong. He said, this is the day that you have made. I just want to rejoice. I want to be glad in it. Thank you that you made this day. Thank you that I'm allowed to be a part of it. Thank you, Lord, that you said with long life you'd satisfy me and show me your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you gave me weapons to fight off the devil. Thank you, Lord, that you said no plague will come near my dwelling. So when it does, I pull that verse out and begin to use it until things change. Amen? Amen to that. Okay, so Psalm 37, do we start there yet? Hallelujah. Anyway, you don't need any fear contaminating your faith. Amen to that. So it starts off in verse 1. Fret not. I don't know what translation you're reading, but I'm reading the King James. I can memorize the King James, I can't memorize. Well, don't say you can't. You can do all things across. But let me just say this about that. Trying to memorize the Passion Translation. Hallelujah. So he says, fret not. Don't grow angry. Don't, don't get uptight over the things that are going on in the world. Trust in the Lord, verse 3, and do good, and you'll, you'll dwell in the land, and you'll be fed. Verse 4 is powerful because he says, Delight yourself also in the word, or says the Lord. You can, Anytime you see the Lord, you can switch it for word because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So delight yourself in the word, and the word will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? It means when I want what God wants for me, his desires will become the same as mine. And so... You know, when you say delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give the desires of your heart, He doesn't mean that He's going to give you something ridiculous. It means that your desire will line up with His desire. And then when you pray, you're going to be praying His will. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Can you see that? Okay. So then it says trust, and it's the word uh, "batash," and it means to be careless. <laughs> It means trust in your estimate of God's character because trust is an attitude. I trust you, God. What does it mean to trust God? It means it doesn't matter what's going on. Somehow I know. Somehow I know that the cream rises to the top. Somehow I know that we're destined to win. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Be steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast and unmovable. Stop being, stop blowing around with every wind of doctrine, and every slight of man. Hallelujah! I've been I've been looking at churches around uh, around, not just the Maritimes, but around. North America because I noticed that the population of the churches is cut in half in most places. But then I noticed other things. I I noticed that when they call it a song service, it's done in 20 minutes. When it's a worship service, you need to go longer. No, no, I've been timing them. 45 minutes is just basic. When you're into worshiping God, if you get bored with that, then you're not entering into worship. Then you're just waiting for this song service to be over. No, no, when you enter into worship. That's why he said in Philippians 4, 4, "Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That is, that's something that I can do on purpose. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen when I'm thinking about where I'm going to go for lunch after church is over. It, it, no, but it only comes when I'm focused. Focused. Fixed on Christ's unlimited supply every day. Focused. Get yourself focused. Get yourself focused on the Word. Okay. We got through verse 4. Thank you, God. So I want what He wants. I commit my ways, verse 5, unto the Lord, and I trust also in him. And so, because I can enter into rest with him, a step ahead begins, a step ahead begins with a word ahead. When I put the word out there, or how about this? A step ahead begins with a look ahead. Hey, Abraham, Abram, look to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. Don't limit me. He said, every place that you look upon I've already given it on to you. This is what he would say to you too. As far as you can see, he said, Abraham, as far as you can see, I've given it on to you. How far can you see? No, but it's true. How far can you see? Because he wants you to look up. He wants you to begin to look at the horizon. Horio in the Greek. He said, I want you to look beyond where you are right now. And I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Don't ever stop dreaming, because when you stop dreaming, you start dying. Yeah. I mean, God will keep your dream alive. God will keep you going. Yeah. Oh, well, I just waiting to retire. Ain't no such thing as retire. It's called Refire. fire <laughs> Fire yourself up in the name of Jesus. Where can I go now? I don't want to read this whole chapter, do I? Pastor Paul already did a great job preaching on it, so I don't want to get into all that. How about about verse
1: 11? But
0: the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That's a pretty cool promise. The meek, what's the meek? That's the teachable. Moses said this about himself in Numbers chapter 12. It's a funny story because he said Moses was the meekest man in the earth and he wrote it. He wrote it. (laughs) What are you talking about? But what it means is he was teachable and he was pliable in the hands of the Lord. Amen. So. um, I I shouldn't have jumped over verse seven, though, where it says rest on the Lord. And wait patiently for him, because faith always rests. Hebrews 4.11 says, labor to enter into my rest, right? Then he tells you in verse 12 how to do it. For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing sunder, the soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow, and discerning the intents of the heart. He's saying, wait upon the Lord, enter into his rest. Mm -hmm. When you enter into his rest, you're not struggling to be who you already are. I mean, what did did Satan pull on Adam and Eve? Mm -hmm. If you do this, you'll be like God's. They already were. Mm -hmm. They already were like God. And he talked them into doing something else, trying to improve their situation. Got them into pride. You know, pride is the root of all sin. So make sure you don't have it in your life pride In in Isaiah chapter fourteen, here's I mean, when you think about it, Satan wasn't angry at God; he was jealous of God. And he said, he said, I will be like the Most High God. I'll set my seat upon the sides of the north and the city of the great king. And he went and did it. If you go to Jerusalem right now, the dome of the mosque is right on the Temple Mount. He set it up just like the way that he said he would. He said, I'll make my throne like the throne of God. And so there he is for a short time. No, but you got to read the rest of Isaiah 14. He said, you'll go down to the pit. He said, those that worship you will dare look upon you and say, are you kidding? Read Isaiah 14 sometimes. The people will begin to look at him that day and say, are you kidding me? You're the one that deceived the nations. You're the one that got everybody hooked on drugs. You're the one that... Made everybody. You, because he's a mouse with a microphone. You know, like even in the movies, he says, lightning flashing out of his eye. That's a bunch of crap. No, he's a defeated foe. Yeah. Come on. Second First uh, John 3 and verse 8, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of Of the evil one. Satan's a defeated foe. And he's going around, I'm bad to the bone. No, he isn't. He's not. He's lying. He's a liar. All he can do to you is deceive you into looking into his distorted mirror for your life. God is not mad at you. God is well pleased with you. God's not going to change his mind about you. No matter what you do, God's not going to change his mind. You can change your mind, but he's not going to change his mind. Again, that's Numbers 23, 19. He said, that, that's the linchpin of your life. You need to read that and meditate that and realize he, he doesn't change. And he said he made a commandment to bless me, and he won't take it back. So the only one that can take it back is me. It's like he's delivered, come on, we, we read Galatians 3.13 that we've been delivered from the curse of the law, but I'm amazed at how many people stay living in it, delivered from it, but still living in it. You come out from under that. How do you do that? By faith, by trusting God, by resting in God, by, you know, you read some of the Psalms, Psalm 37 here, we're reading, it's great. Psalm 34 is great. Psalm 32 is amazing because in Psalm 32, David wrote about blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputes no iniquity. Come on. You are a blessed people. He said, I haven't called you to wrath. Is wrath coming upon the earth? Yes, but not on you. You know, again, that's a couple of weeks ago there. We taught on Matthew chapter 24. Was that last week? And uh, the things that you need to know about are when, when you read the book of Revelation, some people have got us over there in chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13. Let me just say this. When you read your Bible, Revelation 2 and 3 are about the church. The church is not mentioned again until Revelation 19. And verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Revelation says, come up here that's the rapture of the church, and I'll show you what's going to happen after this. After the church age, all of those things are going to happen. So if people think they're living in it now, cuckoo. No, no, but just not. And then when you think about it, who's the Antichrist, it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. All right, it's a No, but, you know, and when you read the revelation of Jesus Christ, then you begin to see all the miracles in the book of Revelation. Then you begin to see 144,000 Jewish preachers after the church has gone running around evangelizing the world. Then you see, two, two, you know, again, two witnesses that are standing up in Jerusalem preaching the gospel. Like there's, and then you see several raptures where people are caught off the earth and taken to heaven until it's a great multitude. And when they worship the Lord, it sounds like peals of thunder. I told a woman one time, she left here, she said, I can't handle the noise in the church. I said, well, then don't go to heaven. <laughs> the worship's too loud for me here. I said, well, either sit in the back or go to hell. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, but my intention was, y- 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 if-, if you're focused in on worshiping God, it's not about their volume, it's about yours. If it's irritating you, it's because you've had, you haven't entered in. And, and, you know, there's some music we don't, you know, it's not our particular flavor, but when you're in love with God, you can get it all going, right? Amen. Amen. So, so, so there. <laughs> So here's something. How how many of you know what? Oh yeah, I got to tell you this story. The double A response is where we live these days. The double A response is uh, fight or flight. And fight or flight a hundred years ago was so that you could outrun the bear, or at least outrun your buddy (laughs) that was outrun the bear, right? (laughs) But now it's every day in traffic. Now it's every day at the office or wherever you work. It's just there all the time. And so I have a friend that has a, because he was a, a he has post-traumatic stress. And so they went t- to Texas and got him a German shepherd dog that, that is a stress dog. And um, it's a cool dog because I thought, well, they can train him to smell drugs. What does a stress dog smell? He smells cortisol. When your cortisol levels are high, he knows you're stressed and he'll come and nudge you and start to get your attention. And so this, they're very much a one person dog, but now this person came into my office one day and the dog sat there for a second and saw me, came and laid down on my feet because he was picking up stress. Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that. You you know, my Bible says, you know, uh, Like he said to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Okay. And so you're supposed to know that, but I don't know that. I'm trying to know that. What God is saying is don't take it personally, but try it. (laughs) You know, work with it. So anyway, the next time I get in with this guy, he came to pick me up for a coffee and he had an SUV The dog was in the back. The next thing you know, the dog was chewing on my (laughs) earlobe. So there was still a lot of stress going on back then. We're, We're hoping it's better now. I'm hoping now when I see the dog again, he won't come near me. Anyway, I won't tell you all the stuff that I was stressed over, but my point is we're not supposed to live there. I'm telling you what I did so that it can help you not to go there. when you, you know, to really cast all of your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but we resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that these same afflictions are being worked out in our brethren in the world. I might as well finish it. But the God of all grace... Yeah. Who has called us onto his eternal glory after we have suffered a while? Will make us perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. Hallelujah. The thing that you're suffering is dying to your flesh. Just die. (laughs) The pastor said, die. How do I die? How do I die? How you die is by making yourself vulnerable. Yeah. To make yourself vulnerable is like you, like you have to get in the arena. You can't sit in the bleachers and mock the people that are out there trying to do it. You got to jump in for yourself. I was talking to Dan Eddie the other day and I said, Dan, one of the things I've always admired about you is you're not afraid to get in the arena. You're not afraid to be ridiculed. You're not afraid to to embarrass yourself for something that you believe in. And I've watched them over the years. Come on, that guy, that guy that grew up here in Nova Scotia, bought himself a pair of cowboy boots, moved to Calgary, and became the head guy for the Rodeo Association of Canada. (laughs) How did he ever do that? And I know how he did it (laughs) because, no, no. No, he can. He could talk. You know, he would sell a fridge to to somebody living up north beyond the solar, the ice cap, right? <laughs> he's got that. And, but the thing that I admire about him is not how many times he tried and failed because he's done that. I believe he's going to really win big this time. But what I admire about him is he's not afraid to get in the arena. What will people think of you? Let me just help you with that. Most people aren't thinking about you anyway. They got their own deal going on. No, no, there's a theater in your mind and the movie's playing, but you're the star. In your own mind. Other people have bit parts, they come and go, but you're the star of the movie, man, come on. <laughs> no, no, and how do you prove it? Somebody will show you a photo, and the first person you'll look for is you. How do I look?
1: <laughs>
0: Group photo, and you've got to find you first. Get free of all that. You don't. Again, if I want to know what I look like in a group shot, I'll go to Romans eight twenty eight. All things are working together for my good. I'm called according to the Lord and called according to His purpose. I'm encompassed about by a great cloud of witnesses. Think about that. A great crowd of witnesses are walking with you, and, and they're there saying, "You can make it. You can do it." And you're thinking, I, "I'm going through nothing compared to you." Yeah, you are. Your battle, I remember talking to Ron Kuzma one time. He spent a lot of time in Africa. And over there, they keep the demons, you know, demon-spirited people chained to trees and stuff like that. We saw it in the Philippines as well. But over here, I said, I said, Ron, he said, the worst devils are in Africa. I said, I disagree. I said, over there, you can see plainly that the devil's working in somebody's life. I said, over here, you can't at all. Over here, it's very subtle. Very subtle, somebody gets offended and leaves the church and takes a bunch of people with them. What was that? was was that the Lord? God told me this was my church. Well, then six months later, he changed his mind. <laughs> no, but that's how that's how deceptive
1: yeah.
0: the rat is at the, uh, anyway, so let's try and get through this chapter 11. We should I just forget it. <laughs> job. Hallelujah. Well, how about this? Uh, have you ever heard listened to Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah? How many of you know that he's a Jewish guy? And Cohen is priest, and so he might not have. I don't know if he got saved before he left or not. But he wrote some songs. He wrote a song about Isaac, and he came up with that song, Hallelujah. But one of the lines in the song was really really touched my heart was, he said, love is not always a victory march. Sometimes it's just a cold hallelujah. Sometimes it's just you're obeying him, and you don't feel anything good going on. Another thing that he said was, don't be concerned about the cracks in your life. They're the ones that let the light in. So if you're a crackpot, it's a good thing. <laughs> the entrance of his word brings light. Come on. Don't look at anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like Stuff like that. Stop looking around. Okay. And so really, I think what he was meaning by that is you don't hand your self-worth over to what people think. What other people think The only one that matters is God. Uh, There will be failures. There will be criticisms. You're not always going to get it right. But right now you're going to go to the book of Job because I'm giving up on the Psalms. Okay. (laughs) I'll refer you to Pastor Paul's teaching. You want to hear about Psalm 37? Go back a couple of weeks and watch it online. Okay. <laughs> I had some good stuff, I think. Well, I couldn't have been all that good or God wouldn't have cut me off. Okay. So in Job chapter 1, I started to write a book on this, and I called it "One Man's Journey from Religion to Reality." and And I began to look at Job, and it says that he was a perfect and an upright man in verse one. But that was he, that means he was a moral man. That doesn't mean that he was super faith man. He had a thousand employees, one and a half million dollars worth of farmland, one one point four billion dollars worth of annual income. <laughs> but but he. And so you'd have thought that he was going to be a thankful guy, right? Oh, Lord, I just want to thank you that you've blessed me. Look at everything that I have. But he wasn't. He was focused on something that he lacked. Just like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, you can touch any tree in this garden. Just stay away from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because I don't want you to know what it is to be evil. So here we are in chapter 1 and verse 1. He was a perfect and an upright man. And then in verse... Well, no, I, I said he, he was worth $1.4 billion. His annual income was $100 million. His firm was five miles wide. That's what it says when you begin to read through all this. But I want to get to verse 4. His sons, like any rich guy's sons and daughters, sometimes they'll act up, you know. Just look at the Hollywood kids and see what's going on. His sons went and feasted in their houses, every one in a different day. And they sent and called for the three sisters to get drunk with them. And so it was in the days of their feasting was, was gone about. And by the way, they were making moonshine. It, it it It'll tell you that when you read it in the Hebrew that they were busy making booze. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and offered up burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, and here's the difference between Job and Abe. Abe offered up his son. Job offered up sacrifices for his sons. Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Look at this. Thus, Job did it continually. See, faith rests. Fear is always anxious. I wonder what they did this time. I wonder what they did this time. What kind of a parent am I? I wonder what they did this time. Can I help you? Shut up. Read Jeremiah 31. He said, stop your weeping. Stop your eyes from tears. Your work shall be rewarded. Your children will return again to their own borders if you'll shut up about it. If you keep talking about it, you keep talking about it, it keeps them away. Because you're not operating in faith. It's, there's not an ounce of faith in what Job is doing. It's total fear. He did it continually, it says. And again, Satan's going around seeking whom he may devour. But God's always ahead of the devil. Come on. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, where'd you come from? Satan said, well, I've been going back and forth in the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Well, he knows everything. He was watching him consider Job. He's a perfect and an upright man and one that fears God and hates evil. Then Satan answered the, Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you made his house a hedge about his house and about everything that's his? Now, when you write write in the margin of your Bible, Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 8, because Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 8 says, whoever breaks a hedge, a serpent will bite him. So you know that God did not take down the hedge. Fear took down the hedge. You're encompassed by a great category of the fear Fear is your enemy. Fear is your only enemy, because the first thirty-two chapters don't reveal God's character, but the ignorance of humans. Not a book on how to suffer, but how, but, but one of recovery. It's all about repent, revelation and repentance and recovery and restoration. That's what this book is about. Say that with me. R- Reasoning. Revelation, revelation, recovery, revelation. repentance, Amen. restoration. Amen. Amen to that. So again, Job offered up sacrifices for his sons, and Abe offered up his son. What does that mean? It means, It means I trust you, God. Matter of fact, when you read it in Hebrews chapter 11, he said he was persuaded that if, if he had set fire to that altar, that God would would have raised them up from the ashes that's where you need to be living. That's where you need to be living. Anything else is fear based and you need to get out of there and really, when you read um uh, uh, job chapter thirty two we won't go there, but in verse one, it says that job was righteous in his own eyes. What does that mean self righteous stuff shirt. No, no, but my Bible tells me that Abraham staggered not in unbelief, but Job staggered in unbelief. Right? That's what he did. Chapter three is where I want to get to. Verse twenty-five:
1: For the thing that I greatly feared,
0: for the thing that I greatly feared, has come upon me. And that which I was afraid of has come on to me. I wasn't in safety. I had no rest. I wasn't quiet. And as a result, trouble came. Another translation says, because I feared, dread has overtaken me. All that I feared has happened. I was not secure or quiet. I had no rest. And as a result, the tormentor came. Why? Because you, you attract what you hold on to. Just by faith, let those things go. I mean, you trust that God's going to take you to heaven? Can you trust him for your kids too? Can you trust him that he's going to split the sky? (laughs) We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm amazed at how many people are wanting to go to heaven, and they never take time to get to God, no God on earth. I said, you want to go to heaven someday and you don't even come to church? So <laughs> no, seriously, if you want to know what worship really looks like, read the book of Revelation and see what they're doing in heaven. And, and chances are you might not want to go there because it could be church every day, <laughs> right? <laughs> don't think about people that are goofy there. Oh, yes. I'll go to heaven and be with the Lord. I said, you haven't even met him yet. Why don't you spend some time with him here so you won't be shocked when you get there. (laughs) If you get there. So So, um, worry, the Anglo-Saxon word for worry, is worgan. W-Y-R-G-A-N. It means to strangle,
1: it means to choke, it means to gnash with the
0: teeth, it means something is eating at you, and you know, uh, Caroline Leaf will tell you that it's the most deadly human disease,
1: the most destructive.
0: And and, he, and she said that doubt and fear are tormenting twins. Faith and love are from above, but here it's doubt and fear. Faith and love are from above, but here it's doubt and fear. No, but that's why he wrote the book of Colossians chapter three. He said, if you're risen with Christ, set your intelligence on the things that are above and not the things of the earth. He said, "You're dead, and your life is here with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, you'll also appear with Him in the glory." So then he goes on and says, "You know, put to death, mortify your members that are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. You can put all that stuff off. How do I do that? The same way I put on my shirt this morning." Same way. He says, put on the new man, renewed in the knowledge of the him, image of him that created us, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond of free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on as the elect of God. Put it on. Put it on. Put on love. I don't feel like I'm loving people. Put it on. Put on love. He said, it's the bond of maturity. He said, and then let the peace of God in your hearts. You're called to one body and you're thankful. He said, love one another, forbearing with one another, forgive one another, even as Christ forgave, you forgive. Why? Because when you're walking in forgiveness, you're walking in freedom. As long as you've got a grudge against somebody, go, yeah. <laughs> no, somebody that's, that's worry and that's worry again. And that worry is also where you get the word worm. And it's how... These things are always trying to get into your brain. It's like the word for devil, diabolos. Dia means all the way through, and balos means to throw. So it's like throwing thoughts and throwing thoughts until they penetrate your mind. Until now you're, I know you've done this because I've done it before. You're going into a meeting, and you sense the tension, and so you had the meeting in your head before you ever go into the meeting well they'll say this and then I'll tell, say that man and then when they say this I'm really going to say that and I'll tell them, I'll give them a peace of mind don't give them any peace of your mind because you haven't got all that much left Okay, <laughs> hang on to what you got let's hang on to what we got <laughs> <laughs> no but, but then you get in the meeting and it didn't happen, it
1: didn't happen.
0: Yeah. that's worry worry is imagining that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. How about faith? Imagining that anything that could go right will go right. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. Glory to God. I'm about to break out into something new. Amen. Well, we can't leave Job in this mess. We better go to chapter 32 or 33 and totally forget Psalm 37 right now because I'm not ever going to get back there. Job
1: 25.
0: Now, the cool thing about Job is there's a fourth man. Remember, he had three crazy friends and they weren't friends at all. All they did was make things worse. And we even preach from and quote some from some of the things that they said, and yet God said they were all wrong. So, So, let me get the chapter. Well, let's read chapter 32 and verse 1 first. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. He was better than God. It was God's fault. Have you ever gone there? Let me just say this about that too. God is not ever your problem. Your understanding of him may, may be causing a problem. But he's not ever your problem, he's your answer. He's always your way out. He can make a wall away. He, he you know, he can make a mountain to be removed. Come on and crest and see.
1: And where are we gonna pick this up? Um I don't know.
0: <laughs> okay. Chapter thirty two and verse four. This is Elihu is a type of the Holy Ghost. And it says, he waited until Job had finished speaking, and he waited till all the friends finished talking, because he saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, and, and then his anger was kindled. Elihu said, I am young, and, and as far as you're concerned, he's younger than your soulish man. He came after you got saved. So, again, we don't have time to get into all of this, but it's so rich. Maybe I should finish writing that book. I don't know. Elias saw that there was no answer in the mouth of those three men. He got angry. And he said said in verse 7, I should let days speak or the multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and then there's the inspiration of the Almighty that gives them understanding. Great men are always not always wise, neither do the understanding the aged have understanding of judgment. Therefore I said, Listen to me, and I'll show you my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words, I gave ear to your reasons, While you searched out a way, yes, I attended unto you. And behold, there was not one of you that convinced Job, neither had the answers for his words. And so then he goes on. We won't get into it, but read it for yourself sometime. He'll get in and he'll begin to teach. He'll say things where, where were you when God laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when he put the stars in place? Job, who are you to make yourself better than God or to criticize him? When you can't, he said, if you had the answer to any of these things, please answer for me. And um, we'll try to pick it up a
1: little further here. Okay.
0: Uh, Verse 42, chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be held back from you. Who's he that hides counsel without knowledge? He said, I uttered what I did not understand. And that's what we do. Anytime you feel angry with God because you don't think he's treating you right, you need to know that he's always right, that he'll never do you wrong. He'll never harm you. So my understanding may be wrong, but it's not God that's my problem. He said, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things that are too wonderful me, I didn't know them. He said, here I beseech you and I will speak. I would demand of you declare it unto me, I have heard about you. This is what we go to church for. I heard about you by the hearing of my ear. But the next step is, but now my eyes see you. And when I see you, I recognize I abhor myself and repent in dust, dust and ashes. As, and, and so that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said unto Eliaphaz the Tenamite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me to Job. There, and so then he'll tell them to go and make sacrifices. But I just want to jump down to now to... Um, how about... Um, I like verse 9 life is the tenomite, and the Bildad, the Shunamite, and Zophar, the Naamanite, went and did according to the Lord, had commanded them. But it says the Lord accepted Job. Verse 10, And the Lord termed the captivity of Job. This next part is vital. When he prayed for his friends. And they were not his friends at all. Read, read, read the Bible. They were not his friends at all. But God said, you need to pray for them. And that's why he would say, pray for your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use you. But look at this. When when, when God turns your captivity.
1: And the Lord gave Job how much? Twice
0: as much as he had before. Hallelujah. So when he talks about restoration, I restore unto you the things that are stolen, he's talking about, I'll give you twice as much. All you've got to do is do what Job did here. Repent and pray for those that have harmed you. Repent and pray for those that have done you wrong. If no one's done you wrong... Is anybody here? Let me just do a little poll. Anybody here that, you know, no one's ever done you any wrong? How about is there anybody here that nobody's doing you wrong right now? Not lately. (laughs) No, but again, it's not people. My Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness, and the spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. So it's unfortunate that the devil uses people, but he does. Romans chapter 6 says that whoever yield your members to, you become the servant of. So you can have a Christian yield himself to the devil, spreading gossip and all of those kind of things and dividing churches and all that and thinking that they're doing the right thing sometimes. But, but again, only by pro- Proverbs 13.10 Only by pride comes contention. The only way that strife pride comes, the only way that Those that contention comes is because of pride. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Let somebody tell you what to do.
1: Let a pastor speak into your life.
0: If not this pastor, find a pastor. But, you know, like there are people in this city that I know that won't go to church because there's nothing spiritual enough for them. Because they're on a higher plane. Than the rest of us. What's that called? Pride. You know, I don't care if a church, if you can't find, go fit somewhere. Find a place that you can fit. Just find a place where you can serve. Serving one another. Serving one another. Mark ten forty-five. Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to serve. And, and and then you know and then uh, Paul was talking on Thursday night you know Matt, Matthew eleven twenty eight you know to, to take his yoke upon you and learn of him he's meek and lowly he's humble he he's not trying to get something from you he wants to get things over to you and when you focus on getting things over to other people you can have such peace in your own life give me give me my name is Jimmy and my middle name is Moore you don't have to live there anymore. My God supplies all of my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I see myself in the mirror of by His stripes, I'm healed and made whole. I see myself in the mirror of Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? Things? Hey, things! If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. And if I have any friends like Job's friends, I release them now in Jesus' name. I pray for them. Hallelujah, touched their lives. They didn't do me any harm. It was the devil. And I just read about him in Revelation 20, 10. He's going to be thrown in a lake of fire and tormented day and night forever and forever. So that's his future. Mine is bright. Yeah. Hallelujah, heaven to gain. Thank you, Lord. No order, darkness, with his weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. This guy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.